What are you doing on the internet? Facebook. Facebook? Are we starting? Do you still do Facebook? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I gotta keep track of all my old people friends somewhere. <laughs> Twitter. It's all about Twitter, man. I'm not getting a Twitter. I have so much social media as it is. There's too much. What else do you have? Instagram and Tumblr and Facebook. That's you so know why much. you feel like that? Because you have Tumblr. And I love and respect Tumblr, but I can't. <laughs> like, I have to have a life. And Snapchat. Twitter. That's a lot. Yeah. Tumblr is Tumblr's the worst one. I have, like, six people I talk to on Snapchat. And I have, like, a group snap for, like my cousins and then like my immediate family Mm. that's pretty much all i use it for is to like snap things to my family that i wouldn't yeah normally put on the internet a ton because i'm old and it confuses me (laughs) snapchat confuses you well like when it changed i hated all the changes and then so did everyone that's why they went back on some of it yeah they did Don't you read when people send when they send updates? Don't you read? I read everything, but I don't remember anything. No, I don't read the updates. I just get annoyed that Snapchat's trying to tell me something, and it's not like something funny from a friend. You know what's really frustrating is when they do their video messages, like yeah. check out our episodes, and it like plays super loud. Yeah, and you're like, I am on the toilet at work <laughs> trying to hide How here. How dare you? And you made it really obvious oh. that I'm sitting here on my phone. <laughs> Thank you. It scares me every time. It, like, startles me. Yeah. Because they're very loud. And then they're, like, for Father's Day and shit. And I'm like, I don't need this. Yeah. No one on Snapchat is a father. Let's be honest. You're too young. I, I don't think that's true. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure it's true. No. <laughs> I think you get kicked off once you become a parent. I'm Shiloh. I'm Amelia. And I got my name right. Heyo. What? What's the noise for this episode? Um, what's a good noise for infanticide? Is that how you say a it? crying baby? No. Where? No. <laughs> I think it's infanticide, yeah. Do you pronounce in- the T in... I just don't know the right, like, emphasis. Infanticide? Infantside? It's not infantside. We'll just say the killing of babies. Yeah. Are we just going? I yeah, I don't know. No, I was really... I do have my announcements, but I really have gotten hung up in trying to figure out how I'm going to say that. And then you distracted me of trying to come up with an, an, a noise, and maybe it's just unrelated, or we'll just throw in the I dark. don't have any funny quips about this one. It's like, there's not, like, a good cowboy story or something. Yeah, this one... Yeah. This one's sad. This is an unfortunate <laughs> one. We'll say that. A series well, of unfortunate events. One might say. Whatever you want, Amelia. <laughs> if you haven't figured it out, this is Plead the Belly, a podcast about women and the crimes they commit, and I don't really have a funny thing to say on it. I have a story. Yeah, let's hear your story. Do you want to do your announcements first, or do you want me to just do my story? No. Hey, everybody, don't forget to check out our website, where we do have a lot of additional content, including our blog posts. On the news notes, right now we have a really cool article about Typhoid Mary and the very first actual female serial killer. It's and not Eileen Warnos. Spoilers. It's not Eileen Warnos. Although she was bad. Again, if you want to 
follow us. Please uh, rate and review us. The internet told me that that does like help us if you rate and review us. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who has rated and or reviewed us. Um, we've been having a lot of fun. So thank you for interacting with us. You can hang out with us on Twitter, Tumblr, or Facebook, or the contact page on our website. I think that's what I got for now. Let's hear your story. The newsletter? Do you want to talk about the newsletter? Again? Oh, sign up for the newsletter, because then we'll just send everything to your email. Also, we, we won't spam you. We won't spam. It's going to be like once a month. And we have a merchandise page on our website, so you should go check out our merch, and hopefully soonish we'll be having new exciting merch featuring our sponsor. Is she our sponsor? I, I think she's a mascot. I think... I think she thinks she's our sponsor. Will you just listen? When it comes to Tonks the Rabbit, we just agree with Tonks the Rabbit. Yeah, there's no arguing. With she's that. got some major sulky face today, so we're just gonna agree with whatever she says she is. Why is she sulky today? Because I cleaned her cage. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I have a story which Shiloh's already heard, but it freaked me out. So y'all have to hear it too. Um, so I was listening to a different podcast called Darkest Hour. I think. I think that's what it's called. Are you giving them free advertising They're here? really good. I really like this podcast, you guys. Okay. It's also fictional, so it doesn't... It's not going to steal from us. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a horror podcast, and there was an episode about... Whoa! I just... I really am supporting you doing what you want, but I'm really afraid for you to put this story out there anymore than already out there. You want me to not tell it? No, keep going. I'm just expressing my fear. And I just also want to express that before we started doing this podcast, before it was even an idea, I wasn't afraid of anything. I would forget my keys on the porch. I would not lock my car. I wasn't worried about anything. And now I'm like living this paranoid life now that I've like dug into just like a handful of... Now that the cults of your IP... It's not even the cults. It's everybody. Like, yeah, the cult. The cults really kind of did you. So, what about this podcast? So, I was listening to this podcast, and it's episodic. And this episode was about these two women podcasters who do a podcast about criminals. And that's us. This, this episode was them in front of a live, like doing a live show about a female killer who had never been found, and. The podcast, like, the episode went well, and then they went back to their hotel, and the killer was basically waiting for them, and tortured them and murdered them. Don't Uh, murder us. I instantly told Shiloh that she needed to listen to the episode. Which I have not, and I will not. I will. But I'm going to act as if I will not. So anyway, it was a little (laughs) freaky, because it was a little too close to, like, life imitating art or art imitating life and I didn't like it and I was really unhappy listening to it but I couldn't not listen to it but now you're recommended everyone else will listen to yeah, it yeah everyone should listen to it it's a really good podcast <laughs> it's really scary <laughs> I'll listen to it you know I always tend to listen to that stuff when I'm home alone like you always recommend me this creepy stuff even if it's not that scary like some Netflix show or something and then I watch it when I'm home alone and because I'm home alone it just like amplifies it's like so much worse yeah that's okay. I'm going to a haunted. Hey, so I, oh, for the listeners, I like haunted things and scary things, but I have a limit. 
Um, my limit is I don't like being touched, and I'm accidentally going to a haunted hayride in Corn Maze tonight where they can touch you and separate you from your group, and I'm gonna die. Mmm, I'm surprised you're even going. I didn't know. <laughs> when we bought the tickets, I didn't know that it was one where they could touch you, and then I saw the signs, because this is where we... Oh, have, yeah. yeah. So, I'm doing that tonight. You might need a new partner. I'm just going to, they're just going to find me crouched in a corn maze tomorrow morning. I don't know. I can't. Uh, let's just like, ch- like get rid of the whole concept of podcast hosts <laughs> disappearing or getting murdered. <laughs> Please check on me tomorrow and make sure I'm okay. I would not. Like, you should probably be able to just tell them like, no. I feel like that. I might. I really don't. I don't like being touched. I'm kind of freaked out. I'm a little worried. And I told someone, one of my workout buddies, about it, and she just started laughing at me and said she went last year and she will never go again because it's the scariest thing she's ever done. Your face actually <laughs> looks really scared right now. I'm so scared. You look actually really scared right now. Uh, I can't do this. You'll be fine. I'll I'll coach you on. Yeah? Yeah. Through Snapchat? Yeah, but I once I go home, I'm probably going to lose my phone. So, if you need comfort, you can, like, text me and I'll respond next time I find my phone. Wow, you're the worst at this. <laughs> I didn't lure you into this hayride, though. Like, <laughs> Let's um, loop back around to the killing of babies. This- that was a... Great transition you yep. made there. I, I, having, I don't know how we could transition that. <laughs> All right. This episode's about Miyuki Ishikawa. Who is Miyuki Ishikawa? I've never heard of this person before. I'd love to tell you more. Uh, so not a ton is known about her life pre her baby killing days. Um, but she was she's from Japan. She's from a small southern town in Japan. She was born in 1897. Um, and she lived in Japan. She lived through World War II. And one of the things that we kind of wanted to talk about was, so this story takes place pretty quickly after World War II. Mm -hmm. Um, and something that we thought was important was kind of reminding listeners what World War II was like after what, sorry, what Japan was like after World War II, because due to the issues with the atomic bomb and then World War II in general, Japan was suffering a really bad economic crisis. Um, Do you remember what year the the bombs dropped? 43. 43, yeah. Does that, that sound would... right? I think that Should lines up with our timeline here a little bit. We don't need to be exact, but, like, we're right. That's right the time period we're talking about. Yeah. Like, this is a really devastating time for Japan. Yeah. So things things are pretty terrible when, um, when this story takes place. Uh, so... Pre this, Miyuki had studied at the University of Tokyo. At some point, she got married, um, and she started working in a maternity ward of a hospital. And she eventually became the director of the ward. And this is, again, the 1940s in Japan. So it was rare for women to go to college in the first place, and it was even more rare for them to become the director of a ward like this. Yeah, that's super impressive. So she had to have been, like, top-notch, like... yeah. That person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she was that person. Um, but because of this, it's speculated that she came from an affluent family. Um, so she was, she married due to her family wishes and she never had kids. 
So that's kind of her background. So World War II, <clears throat> after the war ended, so Japan's in a crisis. However, like the U.S., they also experienced a baby boom. Um, approximately 2.6 million babies were born annually from 1947 to 1949. Wow. And this is Japan. Like, it's, it's not a big island. <laughs> like, there's not space to move out, really. Um so she realized that the birth rate was increasing dramatically, and she noticed that couples were very worried about how they were going to feed their babies when, again, we're in this economic crisis and people could barely feed themselves. Um, we're going to talk about this more, too, but abortion at this time in Japan was illegal, and Shiloh has more information about that. So she saw families asking her for help and asking what they could do, and she kind of took matters into her own hands, which Shiloh's going to talk about. I will talk about it. Um, so, like Amelia said, she was the director of this hospital, a maternity hospital. And many of the babies that she found were born to poor families. Um, she believed that these families would not be able to raise them without a financial struggle and a these babies were more of a burden to the family um, than anything. So because she felt she wasn't able to help these families and because there weren't any social programs in place, which I think is really important to remember. Um, also, sorry, I, I didn't find anything about this, but I'm assuming that Japan didn't have much better birth control than America. So the birth control probably wasn't reliable or widely accepted in fact it was not okay. and i didn't know if you were covering that sorry i will later but okay. yeah that's a good point like there wasn't birth control the baby boom was happening and there weren't any real social programs so miyuki shikawa decided to take the matters into her own hands and allowed the children to die by neglecting them which is terrible <laughs> like <laughs> it's so like when we give the background for japan and we give, like, kind of the context of the historical aspect here. We're not making an excuse for it. Like, it's not like she just, like, put these kids out of their mi misery. She just, like, let them die. So that's kind of gross. Um, this, it's speculated that she killed close to 103 babies. Wow. But we don't know for sure because this went on through the 40s. I think it went on for, like, four or five years before she was caught. Um, so they think it was maybe more? It could have been more. Okay. Um, but, like, the standing estimate is around 103. Um, so other midwives at the maternity hospital realized this was happening. They saw this was happening, and they decided to resign. Um, but this wasn't, like, a secret thing she was doing. She also had accomplices, including her husband and one of the doctors. So her husband and her... Together with her husband, they they thought they could make some money off of this. Do you? Can we go back? Do you yeah. know why the other nurses resigned and didn't go to the police? I think it. I would say it's because they didn't think the police would do anything. There are some other cases um, that I can mention that people were killing foster kids oh. in parts of Tokyo, or this wasn't unusual. Like the infanticide. Which I really can't say that word. We'll just say killing children because they were such a burden to like economic, like the economic situation and the population boom was really common. 
So what she's doing to us, it sounds like super horrific, but it's really not uncommon. Um, it just the scale on which she did it is what really draw most of the attention. So working with her husband, they they thought they had found a financial opportunity. So after they um, allowed these children to die, they would approach the families and solicit money from them, like a large amount of money. And their whole argument was, look, you can pay us this money. You don't have to worry about this anymore. It's all cheaper than having to raise the child. So they did this after they already murdered the baby? I don't know the logistics. Okay. Well, because it seems... It could have been... Stupid to do it. It's terrible. But if you're going to offer something like this... There's really not a lot of information on this case. The most information on this is Wikipedia. So I'm pretty much... I'm going to just be honest about it. Any blogs you read are pretty much copy and paste from the Wikipedia page. Which is... So that was interesting because trying to research this was hard. And it's surprising because it's not that long ago. Like there's a we no. we found a lot more information on much older cases. Than, yeah. And then trying to do this one, which, you know, the forties was seventy years ago, sixty eighty. But I wonder I think a lot of it is there's like the language barrier. Like I did find mm-hmm. some things that were in Japanese that I didn't read because I don't read Japanese. Um but th- yeah that uh, maybe it was because it was so common or maybe it was just like I don't know. I don't yeah. know why. But it was it was pretty hard to find information on this outside of it. I thought that was bold, though. I mean, even given the cultural and historical setting, I thought it's pretty bold to, like... Because it sounded like she was doing this, and then it occurred to them they could try to solicit money for it. That's a... So she's kind of a sympathetic character till then, right? Like Yeah. I, well, I lost sympathy for her at the point of killed them by neglecting them it's not like she's just like doing this quickly like these babies like starved to death yeah but this is a hard one i'm assuming this is why you picked this because it's interesting to discuss yeah (laughs) but so it's all terrible but it is something to be said if she thought she was doing it because she thought it was the right thing to do to help these families but then the minute you start asking for money for it you don't trust her Right, like, she goes from sympathetic to actually terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, especially when it's, like, how she's going about this is in a, happening in a way that we can speculate that would make other people, like, leave her institution. I feel like that's where we're, like, moving past, like, historical context into something really gross is happening here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. Um... But, yeah, I also found it really interesting, like, as far as, like, a hustle goes, like, just being like, hey, you know what? I want a pretty decent sum of money from you, but it's still cheaper than raising your kid. And you I'll know just... how much money she asked for, dude. No, there okay. was no specifics, which is unfortunate, because I would have really liked to yeah. pick that apart. Um, in addition to her and her husband soliciting money from the families there was a doctor at the hospital shiro nakayama um who was in charge of falsifying the death certificates so they were basically like falsifying the cause of death so they were covering their tracks as well um and ultimately the government ignored it (laughs) 
That's <laughs> insane. Because this went on for years, right? Yeah, this went on for yeah. a while. Um, but that wasn't uncommon. The government ignored this w- with the other cases with the foster children as well. I think it... They just the government probably didn't know how else to handle this either. I'm sure. I mean, I'm not saying that that's an that they endorsed it. But. Yeah. When we go, when we look into the, um, I'll go over after I kind of finish this. I'll talk about the history a little bit of abortion and birth control and things like that in Japan. And I think due to, I think, it, infanticide has a really long history in Japan. Um, so I think that plays into it a lot and why the government ignored it like this this wasn't this wasn't sensational this wasn't like how we would treat it today it was just a thing that happened do you know because drawing the parallel to china's like one child policy was it do you i didn't find anything about this but did you find if it was more infant girls versus boys i did find that um i'll get to that sorry okay yeah i did and it's super interesting Yes. Um, So let's talk about how she got caught. On January 12th, 1948, two police officers accidentally stumbled upon the remains of some of her victims. So they found, like, baby body parts. Uh, Where? In Japan. No. (laughs) Sorry. In Tokyo. Like, where she was, like, near her hospital. hospital. Okay. Yeah, near the hospital. She had a few spots where they would, like, dispose of these bodies. So these... Um, the police officers found the bodies. They did an autopsy on them and found that they did not die of natural causes. There's no details that I found on this, but my best guess is they could see that this was, like, abuse. Like, they weren't sick or whatever. On January 15th, 1948, so three days later, uh, Miyuki Ishikawa and her husband were arrested. And their defense was that these children were deserted children, and so they weren't responsible for their deaths. Their parents were responsible for their deaths, which I find another, like, just showing Bold. that. Yeah. And also just showing that she was probably a little more criminal than, like, a product of her culture, being that she charged money from the families and then turned around and tried to blame, like, saying they were responsible. Well, I wonder, too, if that's one of the reasons she picked to do it via negligence and not actively killing the babies what do you mean like because if you just kill a baby through negligence it's easier to deny that you did it you know like if she was like injecting them with something or something else terrible that's like an act versus negligence is the lack of act yeah that makes sense and it's like their parents negligence or lack of ability to provide that. and it's still criminal but it is easier to be like the parents didn't feed them either yeah, so that's I true. So I could see why, you know, maybe that's one of her reasons for doing it the way she did. For sure. And it might just come down to, like, the historical context as well of, like, how prevalent this really was. So the public really supported her. And they were like, yeah, this is the parents' fault and this happens and that's that. But um, there's an author. Supported her, like agreed with what she did or supported her like they didn't think it was her fault they supported her defense okay and they didn't think she should have been found guilty um but then there was an an author a japanese author yuriko miyamoto and she was a leftist author and this i think this was like this time period in the late 40s into the 50s was a 
as it was for many countries involved in World War II, it was a cultural shifting point. And this was like a leftist author who she she had a little bit of influence, but like she was also like one of those people who was like on the run uh, because of her views and stuff a little bit and ended up spending time in Russia and whatnot. Um, but anyway, she wrote a thing describing it as an act of discrimination, like against poor people, uh, right? Because you're getting rid of poor people. And it just occurred to me in this moment that if we're assuming she came from a more affluent family, that might have uh, made it easier for her to be so cold about this. Yeah, that makes it even more sketchy. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> so, um but this is a point in time where in the Japanese history, they're starting to have that kind of conversation. Um, so during the trial, during um, these days after they were arrested, the investigation continued. And that's when it was revealed the magnitude of what was going on. During, as they continued to investigate, they found 40 dead bodies in the house of a mortician and 30 more dead bodies in a temple. Oh, yeah. Oh, the temple's worse for some reason. Maybe. I mean, it depends what if it was like I don't know a the religious, religious context behind it. Yeah. Um. Uh. But yeah, it was like, yeah, there were a lot of bodies that were found, and so that's seventy, and then they're assuming there's probably another thirty to forty bodies on top of it. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Um. So due to the large number of victims, they couldn't ignore this anymore. And that's where she became convicted. Um, Miyuki was sentenced to eight years in prison. Eight? Mm-hmm. Eight years in prison. Her husband, um, Toshaki Ishikawa, and the doctor, Shiro Nakayama, were each sentenced to four years. And eight? it Eight years in prison is less than a month per baby. Yeah, it's pretty bad. But the reason why was it was considered a crime of omission. So rather than, they're not saying she murdered them, she's saying they failed to save them. Yep. Essentially. Yeah. Um, But it gets better. So one, they they appealed their sentences and they each got their sentence reduced by half. (gasps) So Miyuko got four years, essentially, for killing 103 babies and each of the men involved got two years. Is this... Do you think that this is a reflection on the culture at the time or the uh, economic status of the baby she killed? Or is it just that... Like, is do you, do you have a sense? Did you get a sense of, like, why they were allowed to get it reduced? No, I have no involved? idea. Okay. But I do think, like, uh, the context of the conviction, like, how they approach it as a crime of omission, I really think it's just the government continuing to ignore it. Like, they had to do something. There were so many bodies. But I think the government's continuing to, like, not want to have this conversation and... That makes sense. ...not care. So, but what did happen, so there was a little bit... So the legacy, the legacy of what happened here was this was a point where Japan had to kind of look at itself. And finally, they had put through some legislation for abortion. And abortion is much more accepted in japan than it is here do you know what year this is um i do know so they were convicted in 1948 and in july oh wait let's get down to the month they were convicted in january of 1948 and in july of 1948 they passed their first abortion law wow which 
1948 seems so early compared to the U.S. Yeah. Um, so many people, I guess it's not like directly, but many people believe that the reason um, the government like kind of pushed this through was due to this issue. And like I said, this wasn't uncommon. It was happening in other contexts as well. Um, so they pushed for the law and in June of 1949, um, it was legalized. So about a year and a half later, they legalized abortion after this. So I already talked about the foster children. There were two incidences near Tokyo, um, about this. And I just found it I continue to read on about the history of birth control and abortion in Japan, and it's just so mind-boggling for me to wrap my head around their conversation about it, because it's so different than what we experience here. So much of the debate was about the value of an infant's life, versus, like, we're always talking about, like, the fetus life, or if the fetus is life, and I don't really want to have that conversation. No. But it's just really interesting coming from our context to, like, think about, like, oh, after it's born, that's when they're having kind of that similar conversation. Um, So abortion in Japan was criminalized in 1880 under their first penal code. Wow. And then it took until 1949 to legalize it again. They had high birth rates and infanticide was not uncommon even during the time it was originally criminalized. Um, and like you said, after World War II, the population grew a ton and they just, they had to fix it. Um, the other reason is people were becoming concerned about back alley abortions, which we know in our context as well, we know that that's a real issue and can cause a lot of problems. Um, so the other interesting part here is like politically how it manifests, there's a lot of pressure from the doctors to legalize this because the doctors can make money off of performing these abortions, mm, which is interesting. Just flip, just a flip from what our our um, situation Content, yeah. is here. Yeah. So, in order to get an abortion in Japan, so the like, you have to you can claim economic crisis or like a medical crisis. Um, and you have, so you have to have a reason. Yeah, you have to like present your reason, but it's pretty kind of loose. To the doctor? Yeah. Okay. Like you have to meet criteria before the doctor can perform the abortion. And you also have to get written permission from both partners. However, that's not always possible. So it seems like the impression I got from the article I found on it was like there are these rules, but unless you can't like. Okay. Per, and, you know, so they have rules, but they're kind of just there to say they're there. They're not actually like strictly followed. Yeah. Is that fair? Okay. For sure. What else is interesting is in the 60s, Japan came under huge fire from the West for their abortion policies. Obviously, because we're looking at a time where we see in the West, we see like religious conservatives taking over and that's the conflict that is really going on here. Japan did not embrace the pill at all. Um, what I thought was really interesting is that in the when the pill became a thing, it was in the West. It was super liberating. It was women. The pill, sorry, the abortion pill or the birth control. Oh, pill? I'm sorry, birth control. Okay. So you know, as we know, this women finally had like control over their bodies, and this was like a huge thing for us. In Japan, it was rejected one for the side effects, but two, they viewed it as if we had the pill, now men aren't being responsible. 
so they don't need to use condoms and all this kind of stuff. Right? Because before, they only had abortion as an option. Sure. So they so the responsibility was on both parties to use condoms and stuff like that. So if you put in the pill, now you're putting the it on the responsibility the only on women. Interesting. Yeah, and I and then I thought about it in our context, and that's kind of true in our context as yeah. well. So it's like, just kind of a, like I said, it just kind of flipped me on my head. The other reason was, for that same argument, the government was concerned people would not be using condoms as much, and this was like hitting the time where HIV/AIDS was becoming more oh. of an issue. So, um, the pill wasn't legal in Japan until 1999. 1999? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, It was legalized, and this is just funny, because it was also the year they legalized Viagra. So their idea was, if we're going to legalize Viagra, we should probably legalize the pill. And women actually, like, thought, got mad about it. They were like, well, that's hypocritical, because Viagra's for, like, a condition, and, like, the pill is, again, like... Yeah. Almost putting like a condition on us with the side so effects it's and like stuff they were like well if you're gonna have more sex i guess you can have the pill yeah <laughs> or something that's so weird no i i thought it was super i just found it very very interesting and the, you know full context the article i read was from like 2012 okay nope t- 2009 so it's a, li- it's a little bit outdated but it did provide some historical context that was really interesting um, I just felt like my mind was blown over this, like just the attitude, like at first my mind was blown because holy shit, you just murder babies because you have too many of them. And then my mind was like blown up the other side when it was like, wait, you didn't want the pill? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very different than the West. Very than America, much so. I guess not necessarily the whole West. Um, what I also found very interesting is just to like re-emphasize how common infanticide was in Japan, they have a word for it. It was like referred to as uh, mabiki, which is a Japanese word that means to pull plants from an overcrowded garden. So like this is culturally embedded in their language, like as such a common practice. And I think that just speaks back to why... The government yeah. didn't care. Wow. Um, yeah. There's a there's a book that I'd like to read, but it's super expensive, titled Mabiki, and it goes through the history of um, offenticide in Japan, which maybe I'll read it later. Maybe I'll blog about it. Maybe I won't. You should put it up on our page. I will. Okay. I think that's all I have. Interesting. Do you have questions? I just rattled that off. I was like, I don't that's know. a lot. It's it's so different. Like it's it's hard. It's almost hard for us, like two very American women, to like understand why she did. Like, because you hear this and you're like, "You killed babies. That's terrible." But then even like hearing about it within the context, it's hard to not judge it from my like from the American point of view. It's yeah, but we kill babies too. Like, how many babies are dropped off at? Yeah. hospitals or orphanage or left in dumpsters or i mean we hear stories about this all the time it's not uncommon no i mean we're not better we're just more morally outraged when it happens i, I guess. guess so which we can argue what the better scenario is there yeah for sure i definitely found it 
really, I don't know, this one blew my mind a little bit just because it is such a cultural shift. Yeah. Like, it's, it is, like, it, I had to break out of my kind of American lens to be able to, like, put it together, like, how this happened culturally and how, again, like, how they got such light sentences. And, yeah. Yeah, four years, eventually, that's... I still, like, I will still say, regardless, I think that neglecting is a pretty cruel way to kill anything. Yeah. And I think soliciting money, if you really cared, like, if the argument is that you care about these families so they don't have this financial burden, and then you solicit money from them... It takes away any of your savior complex. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Is that our... I think that might be it, unless you... No, that's all I got. Want to loop back. Well, thank you all for listening. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter and hang out with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Well, when you give me that face, I will agree with you. (laughs) Are you not putting your headphones on? No. Oh, okay. If you don't want to, I mean... I just okay. do what you tell me to do. I put my headphones on. It's better to hear it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> She's very reasonable. Darn it. For being a good pet parent. I know. Owner. Oh, pet sorry. Alright. I'll hey. just cut the that part out. <laughs> it's okay. I hate being called a pet parent. I think it's creepy. I agree with you. I just say it because it makes people happy usually. <laughs> No wonder your rabbit's so grouchy. Uh, I'm not her parent. (laughs) So this episode is about... This is hard.